It's time now for the PDXO WASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is our very own Terry Tower. Terry was in the Army for almost 11 years with two deployments in Iraq. He currently works for Easy Drone in Portland, Oregon, and for Vanderhauen at the Nike campus doing DevOps with the course Security in Mind. He has a master's in computer science and a bachelor's in business. Terry's drone experience started out when he was a real estate agent, which eventually evolved to a point where drones and security became an integral part of his life. He was a speaker at B-Sides PDX talking about none other than drone security. Terry also heads a mentorship program for our OWASP Portland chapter. If you're interested in becoming a mentor or mentee or both, please talk to Terry. Links are provided in this podcast RSS feed. Thanks for joining us, Terry. Uh, tell us about yourself, both your background in drones and security and how the two came together. So it actually started when I was in real estate. I really wanted to get into aerial photography. And back in those days, you actually needed a full pilot's license to do aerial photography. But I wanted something else. So I actually got a helicopter that I planned on strapping a GoPro, a smaller helicopter, but huge compared to what I see. So we're we're talking about a 450, which is from one one end of the, the prop to the other. So that's considered a medium size, but that's what you learned on. And then you go to a 750, which is what I wanted to put the prop on. So we're talking a much bigger thing. Like when you spooled the props up, it actually sounded like a helicopter. You would have that wop, 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 and it was amazing. But it was also very dangerous. I I actually, like, that was one of the failures, is I never felt comfortable flying this thing around other people's homes to take pictures for the camera. But that didn't stop me from trying to master this helicopter in such a way that I would fly the cheaper version, this 450, endlessly. And when you start flying these, they're notoriously hard to fly. It would be a success story when I would first start to fly for about three or four seconds. It's very hard, very difficult. And then you would break stuff. And then you'd go to the hobby store and fix it or get the parts you need and spend the weekend fixing it. So for three seconds of flight, your weekend was now to prepare the helicopter for next weekend. That was how you flew. (laughs) And so I realized after doing this for a while that I really liked this. It was a lot of ingrained knowledge. You had to pretty much start from the very beginning, make sure the servos are aligned, make sure the swash plate was aligned, make sure that the rotors were all aligned. And then you would spend a lot of time making sure everything worked. And then it was indescribable. You could spool up this aircraft and it would fly. And that that is what got me into drones. Like you worked on a lot of these nuts and bolts and pieces and you put them together in a very special way and you applied power and it lifted off. Boy, that is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And so I broke it so many times. I went to the hobby shop and was like, I need parts. And I saw they had a help wanted sign and I was like, hey, do you have a discount on parts when I work here? And they were like, yes, we do. You get as you get the same rate we get from everything. And I was like, great. I want to start as soon as possible because I need to fix my helicopter more times than I can remember. And I remember thinking like, 
I was working my second day and I didn't know how much I was getting paid per hour. Like we had just done an interview. They said, yes, you know your stuff. And they hired me and I started working. And as long as I had a steady supply of parts, I didn't care what I got paid. So endless to say, my real estate career kind of crumbled and collapsed because I loved doing that stuff. So I eventually just gave up real estate and did repair of this aircraft stuff full time. And I also remember within a span of a week, there was this new drone company called DJI and they had the Phantom 2. And remember when I was saying it took three seconds and my weekend would be shot? This Phantom 2, you could plug it in and in about an hour you could lift off and it would hover there for you. This is magic to me that you can just pull this thing out of the box do some stuff and you can instantly fly and a lot of people also thought this was brilliant so overnight the helicopters kind of got pushed off to the side and this made a, a room for the quadcopters that would get trashed for whatever reason and this these are there's no collision avoidance at this stage you have 15 minutes max flight time and they have a gopro stretch strapped to the bottom so it's a very rudimentary style, but it was it was very interesting. So anyway, to a long story short, I went on a very long vacation and wound up in California. And that's where I actually started at Easy Drone San Diego. And there we actually did a lot more commercial type activities and doing stuff with like thermal cameras and bigger aircraft where still working with the, the Phantom series was fine, but we would also do a lot of bigger projects. And then an opening in Easy Drone Portland opened up and I was like, I would absolutely love to live in Portland. And that's kind of where I got today. So between that time, I also was able to take advantage of this really cool thing that Portland does is if you're underemployed, they will actually give you another degree. So since I was working at a drone place and I was like, I have a bachelor's in business that I've never been able to get a job with. Will you accept me? So a ton of paperwork later, they were like, yes, we will send you to school and we'll give you a master's in computer science. So fast forward about two and a half years, I got a master's in computer science with a certificate in security. Let me go back a little bit and describe to someone who might not know drones very well, except of course that they can fly some of the technologies used to make them do what they do. And in particular, those technologies that later can be exploited, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. So there's Every aircraft is going to be a lot of different subsystems. So you've got, at, and on the principle, two major kinds. You've got one that has DC motors that are called brushed motors, and they don't provide a lot of power. These are the $30 to $50 range toys that you see, and they're good starter points. However, they, they can't give a lot of thrust. Now, the other side of the equation are called brushless. If you do a little bit of research, you'll see there's this huge gap between things that are $50 and things that are 1000 That's because there's a vast difference in technology between the brushed and the brushless. To make a brushless motor, you're using magnets powered by a computer that's controlled by a, uh, for each motor. There's a computer. And then that computer is actually controlled by a computer, another computer. And that's why there's just this vast difference between one and the other. And then that computer is going to talk to a receiver. It's going to get input from a camera. And then it's also going to need to send output. Like a video stream is very common, but it's becoming more and more common to have even more. 
to tell you the height, the battery power, stuff like that. And so every system needs a way to be controlled. So that has to do with between the radio and the receiver. A very common way to do that in the cheaper aircraft is Wi-Fi. You use your phone, you connect to the aircraft, and you now can use Wi-Fi. And so that works for them. However, the range is pretty terrible. Imagine how far you can get if you connect to your house Wi-Fi and walk away. How far can you get before your phone loses internet signal? So other companies use different things. Now, they are usually limited to 2.4 and 5.8 gigahertz. This is what the FCC has said. Hey, you can kind of use it as you want. Just don't be doing crazy things on it. So that's why you'll see a lot of phones, the handless cordless phones, the garage door openers, everything will be using this 2.4 and 5.8 bands. So usually 2.4 is for control and the 5.8 is for video. So you would need to play around with those two. Also, you have to, because they're GPS controlled, you would also need to take advantage of that. So that's usually around the 533 band. But that's that's neither here nor there. It's a GPS, and just as a side note, you can get into a lot of trouble by spoofing or spamming or jamming GPS signals. The uh, FCC does not look kindly to doing anything like that because so many things depend on GPS now. And another thing, drones can be used to attack, and drones can be attacked. Let's yes. say for the latter, an attacker wants to commandeer one. What are some of the better known ways of hacking a drone? So the easiest way is to just send a jamming signal out. So if you send something really powerful on 2.4, you can actually, depending on the aircraft, take control over it. This doesn't really happen so much with DJI equipment. There are there are some things in, in flight that say this is possible, but I haven't seen one of these situations in live. DJI does use 2.4 and 5.8 but they use a proprietary system that makes it very difficult for them to use. If you have some homegrown receivers, older receivers, there's a very specific example where somebody used a Futaba receiver and was able to actually wrest control by using a uh, window sliding technique. They actually changed the pulses from the receive that the receiver was seeing and actually slide it off the old frequency and just take over the whole aircraft. Are there things that can be done to security harden a drone to prevent it from being commandeered? So if it's not a if it's one you've built yourself, there are things you can do. If it's made by one of the major manufacturers, such as DJI, Altel, those are the two really big ones. There's not a lot you can do because they are proprietary and it's all in one. So in order to decrease the cost of manufacturing, those computers that I was describing earlier, they're all burned into one chip pretty much. So there's not a lot of aftermarket stuff you can do other than like antennas. You can change the antennas. That's probably the easiest thing you can do. And now that we're kind of on the uh, topic of security, mm -hmm. last September, a swarm of drones descended upon Palo Verde nuclear power plant in Arizona. This is a bit scary since it happened a few times and no one was caught. Yes. What are some examples of anti-drone technology used today? So there's a couple of things. One is using nets to physically capture the drones in, in flight. Two, uh, the Department of Defense has developed kind of like a, a laser gun 
that will actually shoot out and disable drones. There's also people training birds of prey to catch these drones. Europe was one of the first ones, the pioneer that I heard of, where they would, they would train large birds of prey to actually capture dr these drones in flight. And actually, we also in our notes had the case, John had written about the shoreline of Lake Michigan Mm -hmm. had an eagle that got one recently as well. Yes, they are. It's very common for birds to express interest in these things. <laughs> and uh, they, as far as I know, the, le the eagles have like some kind of thick, scaly skin that they don't care about getting hurt when they capture the props. And so if it looks like prey, it sounds like prey, and, and I catch it. But at the end of the day, I, I didn't get to eat it. But in San Diego, it was a very big problem. During mating season, the seagulls would actively attack white aircraft. And DJIs are, by nature, white. Also, a larger series called the Inspire. They would actually attack these larger aircraft and drop them into the water. Wow, very interesting story. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like having a guard dog, but you could possibly have guard birds in this yeah, case. Yeah, I, <laughs> as far as I can tell... Actually, birds are one of the best ways to defend an area. They're very fast, mm -hmm. they're very agile, and they they can respond very quickly. Whereas if you have like a, a drone net, it's very ungangly. The range is very limited. I don't know a lot about the those laser gun type things, mm -hmm. um, but I seen news articles where they say they work but I haven't actually seen videos of them working. So we know about the animals. They don't like mm -hmm. it <laughs> in most yes. cases. What about people? I mean, with that said, you know, I did a quick search on YouTube, and there's, I think mm -hmm. you know the video, this, this guy yeah. in California off the beach somewhere there, drone swatting, right? Yes. These people are actually harmless in the middle of the street, and this guy comes over and whacks it down with his shirt. Is it legal? And more importantly, does the FAA have anything to say in this matter? I know there's there's sort of a code of ethics, but there are there rules actually in place or, or laws that, first of all, are against drone swatting, or, yes. as you know of? So, yeah, the FAA is very clear about this. If you're piloting an aircraft, whether it's remote, or actually sitting in it, they don't really differentiate between those two. If you are a pilot and you're flying an aircraft, you are not to be disturbed. So if I am flying and a police officer comes up and is very adamant that I have to land right then, I, I have to take the safety of others into account first. And as, as terrible as it is, I am allowed to pretty much do what I want until the aircraft is landed. As long as I can justify it, to the FAA later that I did it in a very safe manner. And that's something that people need to know is you're breaking federal law when you're interfering with these flights. On the same manner is if you are piloting in an unsafe manner, you are breaking federal laws because you are a pilot in command breaking safety rules. And that's one of those huge justifications that you really need to think about what you're doing to make sure that Every flight is a safe flight. And one other thing recently with drones is privacy has been another concern. Mm -hmm. Are there affordable ways to detect if a drone is spying on you? So not really. One of the most promising things I've seen is I, I, I found this really neat is there was an article where they flashed a window to to so that they would know if the video feed that's looking at this window 
would have to modify the telemetry, so that feed from the aircraft to the ground station, they could actually match the pattern for their window to the telemetry. So they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that that camera was picking up their window. But that's that's not like common stuff off the shelf. There isn't a really good way to just see if a drone is looking in your backyard. It's just, it's not a thing. One of the things I do want to mention is normally, if it's very high up, it's very hard to actually spot things. It, it, only recently where you'll have zoom cameras and things like that, where it was really, you're really able to make out fate features within even like 30 feet. It's, you don't get that zoomed effect that a lot of people are fearing. And at the end of the day, they might not even have a camera. It is kind of on the rarer side, but I've been flying in parks before and people are going, hey, are you spying on me? I'll be like, this aircraft does not have a camera on it. And that's that's something to think about too. I would I would like to urge people to, to consider giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of saying the aircraft's in the air, obviously it is spying on me. We've had a few cases where people come to the shop and say, people really got upset at me because I was flying in the street. I was just practicing. I wasn't even using the camera. And I think one of the big problems is people just don't know. And and it, so if people come up to you, by all means, as long as it, everything is safe, you can show them the screen. You can see what they're seeing. You can you can describe what's happening. Drone racing is becoming quite a thing. When we were in the park, we would sometimes hand our headsets off to people who would be interested and actually show people what it's like to be flying. And there's a reason why it's so exciting, is you're actually getting that Superman effect where you can actually fly around and see what's happening from a whole different perspective. Should we be concerned about drones, and particularly for security? So I'm, I'm going to say this, is any piece of technology that comes in, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. But what I do want to see it is directed in a very healthy and responsible way. So when you're doing things with drones, on one hand, you're able to do bridge inspections much easier and much faster. You're able to inspect solar panels a whole lot faster. People that are doing roofing constructions, in order to do an effective check on your roof, they could send a drone up there and replace an entire team from having to climb up and down the ladder and in about 10 minutes give you an estimate instead of having an entire team walk around your roof. But it's things like that. As for search and rescue, you're going to say, we're going to choose not to use drones, even though we can cover acres with drones, but we want to do this on foot. Just we're going to be there eventually. Like there are so many awesome ramifications that drones can do. Another one is for logging. If you're logging in the middle of nowhere it's very hard to move equipment back and forth but if you're able to move cables with a drone and use that to drag stuff up and down steep slopes you're able to use this technology to just keep going in environments where you just wouldn't and obviously people can use drones for the wrong reasons yeah. what advice would you give someone who wants to buy their first drone but wants to make sure that they're doing it right and they don't want to get in trouble with the law or their neighbors is there a code of ethics out there so the very first thing is to to kind of look and make sure you're doing it you do want to register the aircraft it's five dollars and you put that on your aircraft and then before every flight you're supposed to actually get online 
and check. So the DJI drones and some other ones will actually say there's an airport nearby, don't fly, or it'll actually limit you where you can fly. I would recommend you go the extra mile and check for airports. So there's there's actually an app that is put out, and then there's also uh, websites online that'll actually tell you where airports are. So when I would actually go fly, um, say above treetop level, I would actually go and check for airports. So it doesn't have to be an airport per se. It could be a private airfield that a farmer has registered. It could be a news station that has a helicopter pad. It could be a hospital uh, of flights that come go in and out of that. So it's not just airports. There's a lot more things flying around than you want, than you could imagine until you actually open your eyes and look and say, oh my gosh, there are so many things that can take off and go around that I've, I just didn't think about it. So I would, I would keep that in mind that you need to fly safe. Lower is usually better. And if you do need to fly higher, just do some research, do your due diligence to, to make sure that you don't interfere with another aircraft. So Terry, I know your, your B-Sides talk a few years yes. ago was really popular. Mm-hmm. Is, and I think I was mentioning this a little bit in the beginning. Is there a hacker community focused on drone security that people can get involved with too, whether it's hacking them and or protecting them at all? So most of the hacking has to do with the, the lower grades that use Wi-Fi. So when you're using the Wi-Fi, it's a lot easier to hack into them and play around with the logic. You can also use it as a platform. So there was a, a kind of a pretty good article on Black Hat where you could actually use it as a platform to fly up to another level to take over a wireless keyboard and mouse. So, <laughs> and so it, it was kind of a joke that they paid on somebody because they had left their computer unlocked and they thought they were safe. They were on the second story inside of a locked office. However, you have now opened up a detect view. You need to be careful about these things. Yeah, that's interesting because it is... Maybe it's the drone itself that I'm kind of focused on here, but you're right. It can be used as a vehicle for a trampoline, if you will, for the next attack surface to get access to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Terry, do you have anything upcoming in the near future to promote or talk about? What's next? Uh, so I, I don't really have a whole lot of stuff right now, but I mean, c- because COVID is happening right now, it is it is kind of hard to come out with new things and new training. But I would highly recommend if you are really interested and to go out and get a, a cheaper aircraft, kind of play around with it, get your feet wet, and then see if you want to go more in depth. Uh, it's, it's definitely a way, uh, a new way to see see the world. And if you're also doing videography, remember that camera uh, is a fully stabilized three-axis camera. So you can actually carry that drone around and be fully stabilized. So if you're just starting out and you're starting to play around with videography, instead of having a sled, instead of having all of these things that used to uh, work, that you had to have in order to make your footage usable, you can carry your drone around and have very passable footage and not have any of that stuff. It's it's just making making it a whole lot easier to get quality footage. Terry, you're part of the OWASP Leadership mm-hmm. Council as well here in Portland and mm-hmm. the mentorship program. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so I actually started uh, several months ago, and the mentorship is something that really I absolutely adore. I I love being able to give people. So this kind of started when I was in school. I I thought there were some holes that should be filled especially for new students. So I started teaching the new students, hey, this is how you make Linux a little bit easier. This is how you do your programming. This is how you use Git. These were very serious holes for new students. And I mean, just to kind of give you some background, I, I thought I had known how to do programming, but I was using an IDE and I was using Windows. And then all of a sudden, I am thrown into this Linux-only command line interface to do code that I had never known how to do. And it was a very jarring transition. And I was like, I need a way to do this for new students. I need a way to make this better for new students. And then that kind of naturally progressed when I got out to wanting to seek the same. And especially OWASP being what it is, I was like, uh, you already have a mentor program. I both want to mentor and be mentored, uh, especially because I had just got out of school and I was like, I want to know everything. And it's it's actually been great. I've been able to talk to people that I would not have thought possible to just say, hey, you're a CISO for a pretty good sized company. What is that like? What are you looking for when you're 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 looking for somebody to work with you? And that fountain of knowledge is amazing. And at the same time, I can also mentor people that are newer in their career path and say, hey, I want you to focus on some of these things. Because when I was coming out, these are the pitfalls I had. I want you to be able to avoid them. I think you'll get a lot of people who want to talk about drone stuff. I I can talk about drone stuff all day. I love <laughs> drone stuff. Like I, 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 My wife makes fun of me that I can go into a store into a hobby store and they won't have what I need and we'll figure this out within the first five minutes. And yet for some reason, I will still be there talking two hours later. <laughs> All right. Well, Hey Terry, I really, really appreciate you coming out even kind of late at night and, and, and talking about drone security. And we'd love to have you come back and talk some more and also about the mentorship program and everything else. You're doing some real good work there on, on all fronts right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Shane and John. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah. Thanks again. Great insight. To hear this podcast again, visit anywhere a podcast is played. For more information, go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.